Our text this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The title of the message is Saved to Serve. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, these are the words of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me that to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let us pray. Father God, we have read and heard your words. These are not man's words, these are yours. Your infallible, inspired, inerrant word. God, we cannot understand these words on our own. So we pray that you would help us this day. That your spirit would fill this place, that you would give us understanding. Make, take this and make it effectual to every heart and to every life, Lord. Give us eyes to see what you have here before us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. And more importantly than anything else, Lord, give us wills to apply what it is that you would have us to do, the people that you would have us to be, all these things. We would, be very careful to give you and you alone the praise, the honor, and the glory. For in Jesus' strong name we ask these things. Amen. This morning, we are continuing our little series in the doctrine of the church. Over the last several weeks, we've looked in considerate amount of detail talking about um, the importance of worship. Worship. I've said many times, worship is the most important thing that we will do. It is the most important thing that we will do this week. Worship touches every area of life. Everything that we do is to be done to the glory of God. We've repeatedly said over and over that the weekly gathering for corporate worship is the most important thing that we do. Coming to to the church building and gathering with the saints to worship the Most High God is the most important thing that you and I do. I'll say it over and over again. Corporate worship is more important than work, school, sports, Hobbies, vacations, sleeping in, going to visit others, a family coming into town, or anything else that might that one might would let get in the way of coming to the Lord's house on the Lord's day to worship the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 not to, for, not to forsake the assembling together as ourselves. Unless we are providentially hindered, we should be in the Lord's house worshiping Him on the Lord's day. Those that can continuously do, those that can continuously go without gathering with other Christians are living in direct disobedience to the Christ that they say they trust for the salvation of their souls. Last week, we looked at the question, what is the church? We asked the question, what what is the church? The church is not a building, even though we refer to uh, buildings as churches. The church is not a social club. 
The church is not a theater where people come for their weekly entertainment. The church is a people. The church is the you that was described in 1 Peter as we saw last week. The church is the elect, redeemed people of God. They are those that were chosen from the foundation of the world by God, a people who have been called out of darkness, called by God out of darkness into His light, a people who have been commissioned by God and have been thrust into His work upon the earth. The true church is a saved people, a sanctified people, a justified people, all done by the work and grace and mercy of the triune God. We said last week that this is a truth that should invoke such humility within each Christian because God set his love upon you. If you are in Christ, God set his love upon you through Jesus when you were unlovable. That truth should humble us. It should humble us and it should fuel us to tell others about Christ. I derived the inspiration for this series from several reasons. First, because so many have gone out from us. If the Lord allows me to live to the first Sunday in March, I will begin my fourth year as pastor here. In that time, even going back to the fall of 2018, when I was coming here filling the pulpit, the size of the weekly crowd has diminished. Now, we've lost some due to the Lord calling them home. Some have left to go, other, go join other churches. Some attend only on rare occasion. Some have stopped attending church altogether. And now let me say, I'm not, let me say this, I'm not speaking in reference to those who are unable to attend due to health reasons. I'm referring to the ones that could be active members, yet they choose not to be. The second reason that inspired me to preach this series is there is this growing trend of Lone Ranger Christians. They profess to be saved, profess to be a Christian, profess to love Jesus, profess to love the Bible. They supposedly love to study the Bible. They say they enjoy to listen to, listening to sermons online. Yet they neglect the clear teaching of the Bible that all, A-L-L, all of the redeemed people of God are to be active members of good Bible-believing churches under the authority and leadership of pastors. A true Christian, I'm going to say this again, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll say it till God calls me home. A true Christian should be an active member of a good Bible-believing church, or they should be actively searching for a good Bible-believing church. They should either be an active member or they should be actively searching for somewhere where they can be an active member. I have a dear friend. I have a dear friend that I love so much. He has been vital to my walk with the Lord, but he is not in fellowship anywhere. And I remind him of that very often that he needs to be. And he says this out. I know, I know. We are to be members of true New Testament churches. The third reason for the inspiration is we're to be more than just members. We're to be active. We're saved to serve. We're not, we haven't been saved to sit. I, just, I don't want this place to just be full. I want it to be full of people with their hand to the plow. We are to be actively serving. We were saved to serve. Some think that just coming to church on the Lord's Day is just the fulfillment of their weekly role as a Christian. That's wrong. 
Some of you have been coming here or other churches for years and sat under many a pastor and have taken in and taken in and taken in and taken in. Well, let me ask you this. When's it going to be time to share some of that with others? As we come here to worship the triune God, simultaneously, we do, simultaneously while we're doing that, we're getting spiritually recharged to go back into the world to minister for the next six days. This past Wednesday night, we talked about the Apostle Paul reading through the book of Acts. What he was, Acts 26, while he is on trial before Herod Agrippa II. He gives his testimony once again, talks about how he was zealous for, for God and he was persecuting the church. And then on the Damascus Road, God saved him. The Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him and saved his soul. In Acts 26, verse 19, this, I, I, I read this over and over last week. It went all over me. It, Paul says, uh, so King Agrippa... I did not prove disobedient to that heavenly vision. He said, I did not prove disobedient to that heavenly vision. He had given his testimony about the Damascus Road, about how Christ had saved his soul, and he said how he had not let that great work been done in vain. How is it with you? How is it with you? Now, Christ has not appeared to any of us physically, but those of us who profess to be in Christ, to be in covenant with him, had our conscience pricked by how we had broken his, how we had broken God's law, how, and that we knew that we would spend an eternity in hell and that we deserve so. But yet God was merciful to us through the bloodshed of Jesus that his, his, he shed his blood for us upon the cross, granting us salvation, giving us eternal life, transferring us from darkness to light. Question. Have we been disobedient to that great act of grace and mercy? I don't know about you, but I have to honestly answer that question. No, I have not been faithful to that. Not like I should have been. If there is only one person that could possibly even say that, it would have been the Apostle Paul, who did more for the New Testament church apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, no one has done more for the New Testament church than the Apostle Paul. None of us can say that we, yeah, we, ever, ever since I've been born again, I've used every second of every minute of every day to the full glory of God. No, we can't say that. It should bother us. It should bother us. And there's no one, in, 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 when you're enlisted into God's service, when you're enlisted into the heavenly army, there's no retirement plan. You study the Bible and what you see is the, the length of the enlistment in God's army is from rebirth, from being born again until he calls us home. I think of my pastor. I think of my pastor, Dr. Haywood Alcorn. God called him to preach in his uh, mid to late 30s. He pastored his first church on Clearview Drive in Martinsville. He pastored there for several years. He got called to uh, Hollywood Baptist up here on 57 in Chatham. Served some 20-some 20, 20 years there. He thought he was retiring. He thought he was retiring and he was, he was, he was done with his full-time ministry work. Then he goes out to lunch with some deacons from Willis Memorial Baptist Church one day and they asked him to come and serve as their pastor for, this is, this is exactly what they told him, come and serve as pastor for a few months until they got straightened out. Those few months turned into 20 years. He retired in 2020. And from there, unless something has changed until I, since I last talked to him on the phone, he has been filling the pulpit at One Accord Baptist Church in Collinsville. He's 84 years old. 
He is 84 years old, still serving in the ministry. There is no retirement plan. It may change. The way we can serve may change. The way it looks may change. But we all are still called to be vibrant, active servants in the ministry of God. I'm reminded of some words of the Apostle Paul. Some other words. Philippians chapter 1 verse 21. I got to have swallow water. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What does those two verses mean? Paul was up in age. He was going blind, if not completely blind. When he wrote uh, 2 Timothy, and he was in prison not long before he was being executed. It, it, yes, being blind, he may not have been able to write. He may have had to dictate to someone else who wrote it for him. But in 2 Timothy, he was in prison not long before being executed. He was ready to go home. He was ready to go home and be with the Lord. But if the Lord would have been pleased to keep him around a little bit longer, to continue to serve, then the Apostle Paul would have happily obliged Folks, we have been saved to serve, not saved to sit. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Local churches die because the people stop serving. So that brings us to this text in Romans 12. And the message, title of the message, Saved to Serve. Some of you may be wondering, well, how do I, how do I serve? I'm not called to preach. Not everybody is. But as we're going to see that there are things, there are spiritual gifts that God imparts to each one of us when we are born again. And as we will see, each born again child of God has been imparted with at least one spiritual gift that God requires us to use to serve him in the church. It is our responsibility not to be disobedient to the imparting of that gift. We'll see that when we come to verses 6 through 8. However, Romans 12 is just so rich, so rich as a whole. I didn't want to short, shortchange us anything of the spiritual nutrition that comes before those verses describing the spiritual gifts. In his commentary, Warren Wearsby said that the, the key idea of this section is relationships. Relationships make up the first two of our three points as we consider this passage. Point number one, verses one and two, we see our relationship to God. Our relationship to God. Look what it says. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's break that down a little bit. I beseech. The, the word in the original language means to call alongside to help. Paul is exhorting. He is encouraging. He is counseling those that read this letter. He is encouraging them. He's, he's to, to, uh, in a way of coming alongside of them, partnering with them to live for the Lord. Then we come to the word. He says, I beseech you, therefore. The, uh, this is the fourth therefore in the letter. Romans 3.20 is the, is the therefore of condemnation, declaring that the whole world is guilty before God. Romans 5.1 is the therefore of justification. Romans 8.1 is the therefore of assurance. And Romans 12.1, we have the therefore of dedication. And it is this dedication that is the basis for 
other relationships that Paul discussed in this section. Listen to this. Listen to this. If you don't hear nothing else I say, you listen to this. Our relationship to God is the most important relationship that we have. If we have a right relationship to God, we will have a right relationship with other people. If our relationship is right with God, we will think rightly about other people. We will love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will even love the lost and greatly desire that they come to know who we know and have what we have. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our relationship with the master is the most important one that we have. So he goes on to say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What are these mercies? The mercies of God are the gracious, extravagant, divine graces that Paul has already talked about in the first 11 chapters. These mercies include things like God's love. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not put to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So one of the mercies is God's love. Another mercy is grace, grace. Romans 5, 20 says, now the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Mercies of God are God's love, God's grace, even righteousness, right? The righteousness that we have through Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 5 goes on to talk about how in uh, uh, the death of Adam, in Adam, uh, the, his transgression, death, death reigned. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 19 of Romans 5 says, For as though, as through one man's disobedience the many were appointed sinners, even though through the obedience of the one, meaning Jesus, the many will be appointed to righteousness. So the mercies of God are God's love, God's grace, God's righteousness that He bestows upon the church and even faith. Even faith. When I think of the faith... When I think of a verse about faith, I'm reminded of my favorite two verses in all of the Bible, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Verse says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Let's break that down a little bit. For by grace. You can take that word grace and make an acronym out of it, where one letter means, means a, a word unto itself. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's remedy at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. What kind of faith? What kind of faith? Faith that's not of yourselves. The very faith that you and I have to believe in Jesus for the salvation of our souls is a gift of God. That's the mercies of God. That's the mercies of God that Paul is talking about. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So he's saying, uh, you know, because so much has been done on your behalf, now you need to get to work. And hear me when I say this. You've, you've listened to my preaching long enough. I'm not preaching a works-based salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. It is all done by Christ Jesus earned it all. But here Paul is writing and he is exhorting the church to serve, 
to serve because they have been given so much. Because so much has been done on their behalf. He's saying, now it's time to get to work. And so because so much has been done on our behalf, we should get to work. Paul says, therefore, I exhort you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What does he want them to do? Because God has been so merciful for you, shed so much upon you, done so much for you. Now, what is it that you are to do? Yield your bodies to God and yield your minds to God. Look what it says. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Think about the first part of that, yielding your bodies to God. For their bodies to be a living sacrifice. Before we trusted Christ, we used our bodies for, for, to just run after the sinful pleasures and desires of our heart. But now that we belong to Him, we're to use our body for His glory. The Christian's body is God's possession. It is God's temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary? It is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. Listen to this. Listen to this, that you are not your own. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Present your bodies to him a living sacrifice. Resist sin. Resist sin. Be different from the world. Just as Jesus had to take upon, take upon himself a body to accomplish the Father's will here on earth, you and I must yield our bodies to Christ so that the work will continue through us, through the church. There, if you study the Bible, there are two living sacrifices. The first one uh, comes to us in Genesis 22. That's Isaac. The second is the Lord Jesus. When you think about Isaac, Isaac willingly put himself upon that altar. He willingly laid down. He was not the little boy that we like to think of. He was in his late teens, maybe even early 20s. He was a strapping young man who could have had his way with his over 100-year-old father. If he didn't want to lay down on that thing, he wouldn't have. But he willingly yielded up his will in obedience to his earthly father, but more importantly, to his heavenly father. He yielded. So in a sense, Isaac did die. He died to self that day, willingly yielding and submitting himself to the will of God. When Isaac got off of that altar after God pro provided the, the true sacrifice, when he stopped Abraham's hand, when Isaac got off of that altar, he was a living sacrifice to the glory of God. And then there's, of course, the Lord Jesus, who's the perfect example of a living sacrifice because he actually died as the perfect sacrifice in obedience to his father's will. But up from the grave he arose. And right now, today, at this very moment, he sits at the right hand of the father as a living sacrifice because death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. So you and I are to yield our bodies to the Lord, which is a reasonable service, which is a reasonable service. It is reasonable to resist sin. He has done so much for us. It is reasonable for us to walk differently from the world, to think differently from the world, to act differently from the world. Resisting sin and yielding our bodies to the Lord is reasonable. It is not asking too much. 
And we're to yield our minds to God. Yield our minds to God. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not to let the world permeate our thoughts. We are not to allow this world system to dictate how we think. This world system is fallen. It is under the influence of the devil. We, as the redeemed people of God, are to think rightly, think soberly, and ultimately think biblically. God transforms our minds every time we read his word. God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded every time we open his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I quote this a lot. It says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. So Christians should outwardly manifest their inner redeemed natures. When? Every day. Every single day. We should manifest. We should show that we truly are who we say we are. And we enable ourselves to do this how? By renewing our minds. Not with television, not with Facebook, not with anything else, but the Word of God. Sermons help. Music is a great uh, uh, addition, but with the Word of God. For it is the Word of God that is a light into our path. His Word have we hid in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing Word of truth. You know, that's a verse that doesn't have to just be applied to pastors and evangelists. Every one of us should be students of the Word of God to renew our mind so that we think rightly, so that we think soberly, so that we aren't tossed about, so that our emotions aren't constantly tore up and, and, and uh, uh, tore out to frame with everything that we hear and read in the newspapers or see on the news, so that we are kept centered, so we are kept soberly, so we are kept steadfast in the truths and the promises of God. And we do that ultimately by renewing our minds with the word. So we're first, so first we're, we're see, we're to, we're to serve others. I mean, excuse me, we're to serve God. We serve God with our, our bodies and our minds. And the, 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 the more we, uh, we, renew our minds with the, with the word, the more we read, the more we will yield our hearts and our minds and our bodies to Christ, the more we will be spirit-filled and the more we will be able to overcome temptation. Our discernment skills will just only get better the more we renew our minds with the word of God because we'll filter everything through the lens of Scripture. So first, we're to serve God. Next, we're to serve others. Point number two, verses three through five, we see our relationship to other believers. Our relationship to other believers. Look what it says in verse three. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think how? Soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. In the following verses, we find the immediate application of the first two verses, how they are to play out in our lives. It begins with serving others. If you are pre truly presenting your body and your mind as a living sacrifice to God, the first thing you will do is serve others. We could put it this way. First is the vertical. We present our bodies and our minds to God as a living sacrifice. The second is the horizontal in, we, in that we serve others. That is what Jesus said in the great commandment, right? 
What is the greatest of all commandments? To love your God, with, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Vertical. And then do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The horizontal. Verse 3 is a call to humility. Verse 3 is a call to humility. We're to be humble toward others. Humble toward our brothers and sisters. Humble toward the lost and dying world. Says Paul says, for I say through the grace that was given unto me. He's speaking of his apostleship here. He, he, is, he is saying on the authority of, 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 the apostle, of the apostleship that I have, on the authority through the grace that has been given unto me, every man that is among you not ought to think of himself high-mindedly. This is a call to humility. This is a call to, uh, to, to be humble. Over and over I've said we are nothing but re- redeemed sinners. On our best day, you and I are nothing but sinners who have been redeemed by the grace of God. That's the mindset that we're supposed to have. So Romans 12, 3 is a call to resist pride. Pride has no place in the heart of the child of God. It has no place there. If you find yourself uh, fighting with pride, dealing with issues of pride, crucify it, kill it. Get it out. Be done with it. We have nothing to be proud of other than what Jesus has done. We have nothing in ourselves that we can boast of. We can boast all day long about Him, and we should. There's nothing about us that we can boast about because everything that we have, from salvation to the houses that we live in, to the vehicles that we drive, to the very clothes that we wear, to the food in our stomachs, is all a gift of God. Humility is absolutely essential. One of the first things that I ever preached through here in the, as pastor here was the Sermon on the Mount. And you think about the attitude and the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And speaking of, of, of those that mourn over their sin, they mourn over how they have grieved a just and holy God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Humility after humility after humility. Realizing that everything that we have comes from the divine hand of God. James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus says in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. How can we be high-minded when all that we did was receive it? That's the point that Paul is making. Humility is absolutely essential in serving the Lord. We see it throughout the Scripture. Paul talks about it uh, even further in this this chapter in verse 16. Look what it says. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. We could say it this way. Being of the same mind toward one another, not being haughty in mind but associating with the humble. We are not better than anybody else. And you know, we get accused of it. Christians get accused of thinking that we're better than other people, that we're better than people who don't go to church. We get accused of being better than people who aren't Christians. We aren't. That is the biggest lie against the church. We should never, we should do everything that we can to come off as humble. I know we we, we can't, 
some people are just going to take things the wrong way just because that is their nature. But we should do everything that we can to give off this presence that it's all about him, that everything that we have is because of him, that humility dominates how we think. We're not better than anybody out there. We're better off. We're better off because of him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, you know what he does? He deceives himself. He deceives himself. Haughtiness and high-mindedness is foolish. And, and, you, and, and you study. You study the Bible. We're in the book of Daniel in uh, Sunday school. And you read about arrogant, prideful Nebuchadnezzar who thought that he was so important, that he was so powerful, that, his, that he was so, so important. And God humbled him by rendering him to be like an animal for several years. Just in an instant. We've studied Acts. I believe in Acts chapter 12, we, went, we, we read of one of the other uh, Herods of the Bible. He gives a great speech. He gives a great speech, and some people were just awestruck by it and says, man, this guy speaks like, the, like a God. And he received that praise, and when he did, God struck him dead. Said devoured his flesh with worms. God can cut us down in a moment's instant. We would be nothing if it weren't for Christ. We're not better than anybody. We are better off, and that should just drip off of us. It should just pour out from us. Humility should just exude from who we are. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How does someone walk worthy of the calling with they have been called? What's the first thing that he, he lists in verse 2? With all humility. We're to be humble people. Humble. He gave us the very, God gave us all the very best that he had through Christ. Not because we deserved it, but because he loved us anyway. Humility should define us. The Apostle Paul himself was so humble. You read of his testimony where he talks about all the suffering and things that he went through in 1 Corinthians. When he talks about how he had a heavenly vision, but he doesn't give himself credit for having that heavenly vision. It's believed that he was stoned and they dragged him out of the city thinking that he, uh, he was dead and they left him from dead and God gave him a heavenly vision and he saw things that he was not allowed to speak about. But he wouldn't even take credit for having that vision because he didn't want anyone to think of him more than he was just anything but just a fellow servant. They didn't want to him, uh, they, he didn't want his fellow believers to think that he was something that he wasn't, to think of him more highly than they ought to think. James chapter 4 verse 6 tells us God does what to the proud? He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. We're not going to go far if God is resisting us. If God is resisting us, we're not going to give far at all. We have zero reason to boast about, zero reason to be proud, but we have every reason to be humble. We have every reason to be humble, so let us humble ourselves. Christ did. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Lord Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to do what? Serve. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. Verses four through five is a call to unity. Look what it says. It's for, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. So we being are, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. Over and over, the, as we finish out the series within the next week or two, you're going to hear the word unity a lot. It comes up a lot. Uh, the church is called to act as one unit. In the Bible, the church is often referred to as the body of Christ. The church is the body that carries out the task, and the Lord Jesus is the head. Though we are many members, we're to all, we're, we are to all pull toward the same common goal and purpose. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 11 says, I, and I am no longer in the world, yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one, even as we are. Unity. One body. Different parts. Different callings. Different gifts. All working in the same direction toward the same goal for the glory of of God. In the same way the church has unity in Christ. As part of his body, each member has a particular job to do and a place to belong. And listen to this. When any individual member is not fulfilling his or her purpose in the body, the whole body suffers. When any individual member is not fulfilling his or her purpose in the body, the whole body suffers. All members are to be united because of that unity. When one acts in an individualistic or selfish manner, well, I'm not called to do that, so therefore we're just going to allow it to die. We're going to allow that particular ministry or whatever area it is of service in the church. I'm not, I, I don't think that I'm called to do it, so I'm just going to let it die. Bye-bye. It's dead. And that keeps happening throughout the various ministries in the church, and then before long... Shut the doors on the whole thing. It's all done. Board it up. Take any money that's in the checking account. Write one big check to a missionary. It's done. It's now just a building that you're going to pass by when you go up and down the road. Weeds are going to take over. People decades from now will look at it and say, huh, wonder what happened there. And what happened is the people quit serving people quit serving we're called to unity unify we're to be unified under christ doing what he's called us to do point number three point number three we see our relationship to god our relationship to others and now our responsibility to both now our responsibility to both. We, as individuals, have a responsibility to our God, and we have a responsibility to others. There are actually three biblical lists of the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament. Um, the three main passages are here in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, uh, and verse uh, 28. We'll probably uh, get around to uh, looking at them probably as early as uh, next week. Um, and we see here from the text what Paul lists in this passage, beginning in uh, verse 6. He says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, uh, leadership, and mercy. Those are, the, those are the gifts. 
Those are the gifts that are listed in this chapter. Prophecy of all the gifts is probably the hardest to interpret. The word means to speak forth before others. You speak what God has given you to say. And there are two elements to prophecy. One is foretelling and the other is forthtelling. Foretelling, F-O-R-E-T-E-L-L-I-N-G. The other fourth, F-O-R-T-H, telling, forthtelling. Foretelling was what was given in the first century. The ability to predict the future or speak of that which was to come. The ability to speak special revelation that would be given before the New Testament was written. I am a cessationist. I do not believe that the gifts of uh, the apostles are active today. I believe that this uh, part of prophecy is no longer in operation. With the coming of the New Testament, that gift ceased to exist. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 speaks of the, that gift passing away. However, the, the part that is still active is the foretelling. The foretelling, which is taking the body of revelation that has already been given and is recorded in the Word of God and to, to be able to speak that speak what was in the Word of God, to proclaim it, to herald it, to preach. The ability to stand before a group of people and take what has already been uh, given and explain it and expound upon it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, says, But the one who prophesies speak to men for edification and exhortation and encouragement. So to speak to one, to, to edify them, which means to build them up, to exhort them means to fire them up, and encouragement and comfort means to hold them up. This is the heralding of the word of God. So some are called some are uh, called to that gift with that gift serving, serving. Look what it look what it says. Or ministry. Let us wait on our ministry. That'd be rendered serving. We rendered the gift of serving. Some people are given a supernatural gift with a desire to serve others. With a desire to serve others, it comes. It's where we get the 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 word deacon, which means service of uh, one who serves. So this this gift is, is one who who is involved in service of any kind. The broad application of practical it means to help those in need, mostly behind the scenes. In First Corinthians twelve, the apostle Paul talks about those that serve behind the scenes are more vital or a more vital part of the ministry they're more important than those who are than those who are seen or heard the people who work behind the scenes to make sure that every uh, little t is crossed and little i is dotted the people that just have a heart to meet the needs of others to serve then there's the gift of teaching then there's the gift of teaching the gift involves the uh, the analysis and the proclamation of the word you know being able to take the, a portion or a text and, and teach it and give application for it. The person who's, who's gifted to teach has a desire to study the Word. The gifted teacher is one who has the ability to clearly instruct and communicate uh, knowledge and specifically uh, doctrines of faith. Now listen, a preacher has to be able to teach, but a teacher doesn't have to be able to preach. A preacher has to be able to teach and expound and explain the Word of God, but a teacher doesn't have to necessarily preach be able to preach. So there's the gift of teaching. Then there's the gift of encouraging, also called exhortation. This gift is, is, is evident in those who consistently call upon others to heed and follow God's truths. This may involve, you know, being firm when they need to be with somebody, building up others, 
strengthening, help strengthening weak faith in, uh, through comforting them in trials. The person who has the gift of encouragement uh, has a gift to motivate, has a gift to challenge people, the gift to co- comfort people, or if necessary, light a fire underneath them. They have the gift to stir people up or to, 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 to be involved in helping people take steps to be in the will of God. They have a desire to help others, help others and partner alongside of them in their walk with the Lord. And then there's the gift of generosity. Those that love to give. Gifted givers are those who joyfully share what they have with others. They're the cheerful giver. It blesses them to help someone out, whether it be financially or material or just giving time and attention, right? The giver is concerned more with the needs of others than they are with their own selves. They give over and over and over above what you may think is reasonable and it brings them, it blesses their heart to see other people blessed in the body of Christ. There's the gift of leadership. That would be the, uh, or he that exhorteth an exhortation, he that giveth, and then he that ruleth with diligence. That's leadership. The gifted leader is one who rules, presides, or has the management of the people in the church. This is the one who has the, the capability to say, all right, enough's enough, enough's discussion. What are we going to do? This is what are we going to do? We've talked about it enough. Now let's put it into action, right? One with the gift of leadership rules with, with wisdom, grace, exhibits the fruit of the Spirit in, in their life, leads by example. They don't really like to take no for an answer. If they can't come in the front door, then they try to go in the back. If they, come, they can't come in the back, they'll come down the chimney. And they have influence over people. Then there's the gift of mercy. The gift of mercies. Closely linked with the gift of encouragement. The gift of mercy is obvious in those who are compassionate toward others. They're compassionate toward people that are in distress. They're quick to show sympathy and sensitivity. They're quick to want to lessen the burden or lessen the suffering of others. They see the people who are withdrawn and they reach out to them to try to draw them in. They they, they walk into a room and they see the people who are withdrawn that are away from the crowd and they reach out to them. They seek them out and find out what can they do to make them comfortable, to make them feel uh, like they're wanted, to make them feel like they're desired. That's the gift of mercies. They search for the one who is hurt. They search for the one that they are they can help, and they're able to lift them up in a kind, one of a kind only you know one of a kind way. So those are the 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 gifts that are listed here in, in this chapter. Somebody's probably asking the question: How do we know what gift we have? Well, what do you like to do? What gives you joy? If you were to walk into a room with ten people, would you want to seek out the one person that is hurting? And sit down next to them and try to comfort them? Would you want to open up a passage of Scripture and try to teach it to them? Would you want to try to organize those people? Would you want to try to lead them to do something? Would you want to try to give them something? Those are things that you can ask that help to narrow down to pinpoint what the spiritual gift is that God has given you, that He has placed in your heart. What do you want to do? What do you enjoy doing out of those things that are listed? 
God has hardwired it into the very fabric of who you are. And there's also feedback and affirmation that you'll get from others. You have to keep your ears open for the feedback that comes in. When I felt the Lord calling me to preach, I went to the pastor who, uh, who was my pastor at the time, Robert Hardy, the one who did mine and Jesse's wedding. And I, I told him, I was like, I really feel like the Lord's calling me to preach. And he affirmed it. He said that he knew I was called to preach way before I ever came and asked him. So look for feedback. Look for affirmation. Ask. And again, we've all been given at least one, at least one of those gifts. We've been given at least one to be, to be used in service to the Lord and to be in, used in service to his people in his church. One of my favorite living preachers is a man by the name of Stephen J. Lawson, author and former pastor. He said, the greatest unemployment problem is in the church. The greatest unemployment problem is in the church because local churches are full of people with gifts and they've never used them. They're full of people with gifts and they've never used them. They have never lived up to the full potential that God created them for and saved them for. Think back, those of you that were with us last week and you think about all those verses that we read from Ephesians 1. All those verses that we read in Romans 8. God did not do all of that work on your behalf from eternity past in planning out every step of our salvation through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ and give us spiritual gifts for us to serve Him with just to sit on them and neglect them and never use them. God didn't go through all of that just for us to just sit idly by and watch and observe others and spectate while they serve. The Lord wants you and I to come out of our comfort zone. He wants you and I to get uncomfortable. But the thing about that is, is the more uncomfortable you get, you find out what God's called you to do. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. So we were all called to serve God, and we do that by serving others. We serve God by serving others. We are commanded to love God and love His kids. We love God through obedience and being faithful stewards over what He has entrusted us with. Each one of us has been given a gift, and we're to use that in service to Him and His kingdom. Our responsibility to God is to use the gifts that He has given us to build up the church if you are saved, if you are a Christian, if you are called, if you are, if you were born again, you are not called to sit. You have been called to serve. And I'm going to end this week the same way and I'll end it uh, with, with this exact same way I'm going to end next week. You are called to serve with the gift that God has given you. What has He given you? What has He given you? And when are you going to put it to use? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word as I have unworthily tried to unfold it. Father, I pray that You would help us to find, if we do not know what our spiritual gift is that You have placed within each of our hearts and lives, the purpose that You have created us for and saved us for, placed a gift within our hearts to be able to use for the building up and the betterment of Your church if we do not know what it is, help us, Lord, to find out. Reveal it to us and help us to get plugged in to where you want us to serve, to do what you want us to do so that this church will be 
what you would want it to be. Oh God, give us people who are hungry to serve you, that want to put their hand to the plow and that want to serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They'll serve you on the job. They'll serve you in their families. God, help them to pinpoint how you want them to serve you in your church. It may be behind the scenes. It may be we're, we're doing things that no one will ever know but just you. That's enough. That's enough. You're all the audience that we need. It may be just as simple as being merciful and showing kindness and generosity and seeking out those that, that are withdrawn, those that are outcast from society and wanting to draw them into the love of Christ. God, whatever it is, that, that, that the gift that you've given the people that are here, the people that may hear this message, God, reveal to them where it, where it is that you would want them to serve and how you would want them to do it because we've been called to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we should desire for to be holy people, set-apart people, people who, who, who want to be more like Christ each and every day, but we want to be people who are used of you. God, we want to be like great, we want to be like um, sponges. We want to come in here on the Lord's day and soak up everything that we can of you. And that we, we're soaking up every day as we renew our minds within your word. But then we want you to just wring us out in the way that you use us for your glory. That's what you've called us to do. That is your purpose. Help us all to figure it out. Help us all to plug in and pull together toward the goal that is the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel in this part of the world that you've placed us. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.